All right. Good morning. Good morning. And welcome to 2020. Here it is, a brand new year. Hard to believe that we're at that place already. Hope you had a wonderful holiday. Great Christmas season. You got through the first all right and you're ready for a brand new year, 2020. And since we're starting the new year, I thought that we would start a brand new series. I've been announcing it for a little while. We're going to take a look at four books. It's going to be an extended study. I don't know how long it's going to take, but we're going to take our time with it. And what I would like to do is come through the books of Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians on a systematic basis. But before I get in, into doing that, we kick it off with Galatians chapter 1 this morning. What I want to do is cover the first 10 verses of chapter 1. Let me answer the three big questions. You know, what, what are we doing here? Why are we doing it? And uh, how are we doing it? So let's just take the first question. What, what are we actually doing? We're, we're going to uh, take our time, like I said, and go through the core teaching of what Paul taught us concerning the finished work of the cross and the inheritance that you and I have because of the Christ that lives within us. That's what we're going to do. How we're going to do it is that is it's going to come out like this. Here's how we're going to do it. We're going to read what Paul said, and what I want to make sure I do is, is read every verse that's in those four books. We'll read them all. We'll deal with all of the tough passages as we come to them. I want to read all the verses, and then what I want to do is, after we look at what Paul is saying to the Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians, I want to make sure uh, part, of, part of the how is that I, I want to make sure that I bring it into uh, the world that we live in today. I want to make it relevant. And that leaves us with a big question, why are we doing this? Because it's not the normal way that you've probably been accustomed at least in, the, in a grace church or maybe even charismatic church, of how we normally teach. Usually we take a topic and then build, build our points around a topic in scriptures and put some, some meat on the skeleton and teach from a topical basis. But why, why I wanted to do this, first of all, is because I have a very high regard for scripture. And I want the digital cathedral, all of you that come to the digital cathedral, I want you to see everything that Paul taught. And what I want to do is make sure that we look at what he says in context. Sometimes it's easy to, to pull verses out of context just to build our case or our argument or supplement the topic that we're teaching. So what I want to make sure is that we're looking at what Paul says in context. And as we go through this, I, I feel inside that we're going to run into some understanding, maybe some revelation, some disclosing of mysteries that we have never encountered before. So I'm, I'm trusting the why of this to be something that will uh, engage us and move us further and progress us in the, the walk that we have with Christ right now. I understand that revelation is progressive and I'm always looking for another insight. I'm always looking for something that is uh, different than what I have, I have learned before that has a little bit different slant on it, a little bit different take. And I think as we come through those four books, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians, and I, I really consider those the core teachings of Paul. Romans is certainly important. First, uh, Second Corinthians certainly important. All the books that Paul wrote are important books. But I think if we can nail down these four, that we're gonna we're gonna have some some solid core understanding of what it is that you and I have as a Christ follower, what our inheritance is, and what the finished work of the cross actually provides for us. So. 
Without any further introduction, let me, let me just say this uh, about the book of Galatians as we, as we get into it. The book of Galatians, of course, was written to the churches in Galatia, which today would be the southern part of Turkey. Uh, most people agree that this book of Galatians was the first book that Paul wrote, and I think, I think that's an important uh, note to make uh, because Paul wrote this most scholars say he wrote it around 50 to 53 A.D., which, which means that it basically was only 20 years after the, the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus. So I want you to think about that for just a minute. When Paul wrote this book to the churches at Galatia, he was, he was writing uh, from, an event, from an event that was not that long ago. Now, we just entered into the year 2020, so it would be like us writing about an event that occurred in the year 2000, which is not, it's just a blink. You know, it's not that long ago. So Paul was speaking to people that had actually lived on both sides of the cross. He was speaking to people that had lived pre-crucifixion, -resur pre resurrection, and were also now alive after after Jesus' resurrection from the dead. So it's only about a 20-year span from the resurrection to the time that Paul wrote the book of Galatians. I also think that it's important to note that those people that Paul was writing to, the, the Galatian Christians, were not Jewish believers. So most of them had, had a background of paganism or... If they weren't involved in paganism, at least they had a view of Judaism, the Jewish faith, as being something that they had absolutely no part in. It was separate from them. So when Paul comes to them with the gospel of Jesus, he's not writing to people that have any kind of, you know, quote, Christian background or understanding of, of really who Jesus was or what he was about or what his mission was. They, they didn't have the prophets to draw on to be able to recognize the Messiah when he came. So... It's, it's a large group of people that were basically, uh, I guess we could say they were ignorant spiritually, had no spiritual background that Paul could, could build on. Also, I think when we <clears throat> look at the book of Galatians, we have, to, we have to know that this is Paul's definitive work on the freedom of the gospel. That's the whole theme of this book is it deals with freedom. And it was written to people... Uh, who heard Paul's message. Paul had been there and evangelized them. He had opened their eyes to understanding. They, they now had some understanding of, of what Paul's revelation was, uh, of, a, of a radical grace, a hyper grace, a pure grace. When Paul came to them, uh, he, there was no religion. There was no mixture of law and grace involved. And so Paul left those churches in modern-day southern Turkey having established them on a foundation of grace. Now, here's what happened to the believers in Galatia. When Paul left, the Jewish believers in Christ moved in. Paul called them Judaizers. Now, they're an interesting group. The Judaizers embraced Jesus, but they also felt that the keeping of the law was imperative to their salvation. So they, they came in, in with a mixture. They followed up behind Paul, and Paul had laid down a foundation of pure grace, radical grace, uh, and hyper grace. And now these Judaizers came in and said, wait, wait a minute, Paul, what Paul was teaching you isn't exactly right. Yeah, it's Jesus. Jesus is good. 
but you must, you must be circumcised. You have to keep the law if you're going to be a, a, a right believer of Christ. It was a combination Old Testament, New Testament. So word got back to Paul that these believers now were confused. So these non-Jewish believers that Paul had introduced to the gospel, had brought to them his message without dilution, were now very confused as to what it really meant to be a Christ follower because of the Judaizers. That's what Paul called them. Because they were Jewish believers that accepted Jesus, but at the same time, <clears throat> they kept the law. So Paul travels back to them or writes them a letter on clarification as to their obligation or lack of obligation to Jewish laws, customs, traditions uh, that were being placed on them by the Jews who began to follow Christ but still wished that people uh, would keep their Jewishness. So when we read Galatians, we're reading, we're, we're reading a book that was written to people that had just come to Christ, but had been um, duped, and we'll get into what Paul called it, but they, they were now being uh, led in a direction that Paul didn't take them. So Paul writes a letter, and he pulls no punches, and he gives them the gospel. He reminds them of the gospel straight up. No ice, no water, just undiluted gospel. So this is, this is the book that Paul lays out, the freedom that you have in Christ. And this is an awesome book to begin with. I don't know if, the, if those people that assembled the Bible, I don't know if, if the Bible assemblers put Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians in, a, in a, a, any type of pattern, but I think Galatians is a great book to lead off with because it is about the freedom that we have in Christ. Now, some of you that are here on the Digital Cathedral, you, you may say, well, I, I understand grace, I understand the freedom that I have. And I would say to you that every time you go to another level, every time you, your, your frequency raises, your vibration increases, and you're walking in a place that you weren't walking in before, there is always some bonds, some connections that you're going to have to sever. So understanding the freedom you have is an ongoing message. It goes deeper and it goes deeper and it goes deeper. But I think it's a great place to begin uh, for us. And it's a great place if you do a Bible study, if you have friends that are just coming into an understanding of this message. The book of Galatians is a wonderful place. It's a strong book. It's a good book to begin with because it is the definitive. It is the work that Paul lays out without any hesitation. The absolute freedom that we have in Christ. What I want to do this morning on the first morning that we're getting into this, I want to cover the first 10 verses of Galatians chapter 1. So I'm going to break it down uh, verses 1 to 5 and verses 6 to 10. Uh, as I said at the, in my introduction this morning, we're going to kind of cover this by subjects or topics that Paul lays out. And generally when Paul writes a letter, he covers a specific area for a few verses and he makes a transition and comes over to another topic. So in verses 1 to 5, we kind of break, and in verses 6 to 10, there's another break with another, another subject. So I want to look at just the first 10 verses this morning, because there's a lot in, in Galatians chapter 1. So if you have your Bible, and I've had several messages about <clears throat> what Bible I'm going to be using, I'm probably going to be using several Bibles. Uh, the Bible we use uh, is not really the important issue. The issue is the message or the spirit of the text that Paul's writing in, Okay. Normally, I use a New King James Version. If you follow along, want a, want a Bible that I'll be reading, you know, a good part of the time is probably going to be a New King James Version. 
So I'm going to read verses 1 to 5, reading out of the New King James this morning. Uh, a couple of people wrote me and said, you know, they're going to buy a Bible. What should they buy for this study? I would just say get a New King James. There is no Bible that is absolutely perfect and error-free. Every Bible has a translator slant to it. And New King James is probably as good as there is out there. So if you want to get one that makes it a little easier to understand, I think the New Living Translation is good. Uh, the NIV is not a bad Bible to get understanding from. And if you want to get a little bit more technical, then I would go to something like a Young's Literal or a Concordant Literal. Uh, I, use, I use those. Um, Francois' Bible, the Mere Bible, is good. It's not a complete Bible. It's, it's got most of the New Testament done. He's, he's put into good understanding, especially for those of us in a, in a, with a grace perspective. The Bible's written from a grace perspective. That's good. Uh, but we'll kind of read mostly out of the New King James. So let me just read these first five verses. And Paul kind of introduces and gets things rolling uh, and we're going to unwind this book of Galatians over the next uh, several weeks. All right, Galatians chapter 1, verse 1, Paul says this. First five verses. He says, Paul, an apostle, not from men or through men, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brethren who are with me, grace to you and peace from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 4, who gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us from this present evil age according to the will of God the Father. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. <clears throat> so coming back to verse 1, Paul says, he says this, he introduces himself, he says, Paul an apostle, not from men, nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead. So Paul just gives a little bit of an introduction as to who he is and what the message is of what Jesus has done. He's not coming, in verse 1 he says, I'm not coming to you, let me just put it in modern English, he said, I'm not coming to you with an ordination certificate or with a seminary degree. I don't think there's anything wrong with those. I have both. I have an ordination certificate and I have a seminary degree. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. But Paul said, I'm not coming to you from the perspective of a man, which is kind of a blow to the Judaizers that were coming to them from the perspective of a longstanding Jewish religion based on the understanding and the traditions of men. So right away, Paul diffuses that he's not coming from a tradition of people. Uh, that's pretty much the way I am today. I, I was talking to somebody this last week that also went to seminary, and we were comparing notes on how we, we absolutely teach nothing or believe hardly anything that we, were, that we learned in school, right? Everything, we're coming kind of like the Apostle Paul did. We're coming out of revelation or current truth understanding as, as we see the perspective today. So Paul comes and says, you know, I'm, I'm not coming to you with the wisdom of man, not coming to you with the traditions of man. I'm not coming to you with a background of, of religion or a degree or an ordination. He said, I'm coming to you as a sent one from Jesus. That's what an apostle is. The word apostle means literally one that is sent. So he's establishing his authority. And Paul wasn't bashful about this. He wasn't intimidated. He's, he comes straight up. He's right out front about it. And I, lo I love Paul because he's not a people pleaser. He's not there to try to tickle their ears. He's not there to try to 
pass off a particular denominational structure or doctrinal view. He, he just comes and he says, this is the way that it is. He, he's sure of the revelation and the message that he carried. He wasn't arrogant. I don't think Paul was arrogant. Some people have charged Paul with being a little bit uppity, a little bit arrogant. I don't see it that way. I see the fact that Paul was well grounded in this message that he was teaching. He wasn't, he wasn't a prideful person about it. But he spoke from a place of knowing that he knew that he knew that he knew. And that's a good place to be. Let me, just, let me just take a quick side trip, say something to you about that. Let me say something to you about, about grace. It takes a little bit of uh, time, and it certainly did Paul, to get a handle on the message. It's not, it's not a message that you can microwave. It's more of a, of a crockpotting of the truth. And just letting that truth settle in. We, we want to be able to come from the same, I know that I know that I know that Paul had that revelation truth. We want to come from that same dimension that Paul was ministering from, that same confidence. And what I'm trying to say is this. When you, when you get a hold of a new truth, when you, when you first got a hold of grace, I know I made this mistake. But let me say this to you. You don't have to tell all that you know to everybody you know, Right? You don't have to tell everything as soon as you catch it. We, we need to let this message uh, work its way into us. And that's one of the mistakes I made in the early days back in 2003, you know, 15, 16, 17, I guess it's been 17 years ago now. I was so excited about the message that as I began to see the truth of grace and the liberty that we have in Christ, I, I went over to the church and I thought everybody's going to be excited about this. Everybody's going to really embrace this. You know, I, I taught them for 30 years in one, one vein, and all of a sudden, one Sunday, I come and say, you know what, I think I've been wrong about some things, and this is, this is an exciting discovery I've made. Well, it was too early. I found that I did not have to tell everybody everything that I had just discovered. Sometimes you just got to let it crockpot a little bit. And as, as the revelation grows deeper, you know what you're going to find? As your revelation grows deeper... The circle that you can share with is going to become smaller. Isn't that, didn't Jesus demonstrate that? Jesus told the 70 things that he did not tell the multitude. Jesus told the 12 things he did not tell the 70. And he took the three and explained to them things he didn't even explain to the 12. And even within the three, there was one, John, that he seemed to be drawn to, and John was drawn to him, that he had even a little bit more uh, personal, intimate relationship with than the three, the 12, the 70, or the multitude. So you find that as, as your understanding gets deeper, as it grows, probably the circle that, you're con, that you can share it with is going to get smaller. So growing in grace involves knowing that what you say is, is deeply entrenched within you. It involves knowing that what you say, you don't have to say it to everybody that you know. God, will, the, the, the spirit of truth will open up doors for you to people that need the message or are ready to hear the message. I think Jesus recognized that. Jesus understand, understood that people have limits as to what they're able to embrace at that time. Look what Jesus said over in John chapter 16. John chapter 16 and verse 12. Jesus said this. He said, I've got a lot of things to say to you, 
but you cannot bear them. Now, this is an important word. Now. You cannot bear them now. I got a lot of things to tell you guys. Jesus said, I've, I've got a ton of revelation to back the truck up and dump for you, but you can't handle it yet. Now. He didn't say they would never be able to handle it. He just said, you can't handle it now. Then when we come over to Acts chapter 1 and verse 3, I think Jesus expands on this a little bit more. Acts chapter 1 and verse 3, it says that Jesus presented himself after his suffering and his resurrection. He presented himself by many infallible proofs being seen of them during the 40 days. Now watch. And he spoke to them concerning the things of the kingdom. Now, between John chapter 16, verse 12, when Jesus said, I got a lot of things to tell you, but you can't bear it now. You can't handle it. You're not ready for it. I haven't prepared you. The foundation isn't there. By the time we get to Acts chapter 1 and verse 3, Jesus spends 40 days. What a seminar. Man, I would have liked to go gone to that conference, wouldn't you? Jesus said in Acts chapter 1, verse 3, I've got a lot of, th he said in, in, in Acts chapter 1 and verse 3, he said, I'm going to explain to you a lot of secrets and mysteries of the kingdom. And he did this. This is amazing to me when I think about 40 days. That's a month and a half or a month and a week. Uh, actually, it's closer to a month and a half, I guess, that he just spent unveiling for them and unwinding the secrets of the kingdom. So the, 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 the point is this. In Acts 1-3, they were able, they were equipped to handle what they couldn't handle in John chapter 16 and verse 12. And that's the way that you and I are also in, you know, some of you in the digital cathedral, I know you have home groups, and there are a lot of pastors that watch this during the week. Uh, you know, they're probably still in the closet to their church, but they're watching. And, and just let me say, you don't have to tell everybody everything that you know. It's okay to hold some of it, and let it crockpot until that word becomes you. Until that word becomes you. And you can, you can talk about it easily. And it just flows from you to the people that God has selected for you to, uh, to minister to. All right? So let's come back to Galatians. And let's, let's pick it up just a little bit farther. Let's start now. Let's go down. Let me read verses 3 to 5. Verses 3 to 5. So Paul makes his introduction. Then in verses 3, in verse 3, he says, Grace to you and peace from the, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins. Who, and, and Paul just speaks, now he's going to start laying out a little bit of, of, uh, of theology, a little bit of beliefs, that guys, it was Jesus that gave himself for our sins, that he might deliver us from this present evil age, according to the will of God the Father. To him be glory forever. And ever. So he lays out in verses 3, 4, and 5, he lays out the objective truth of what Jesus fully accomplished himself, which was, he says in verse 4, he gave himself for our sins. He gave himself voluntarily for our sins. And the result of that is that he has delivered us from the evils of this present age or this present world. So that's, that's Paul saying, look, guys, that's the objective truth. That's the fact. That's the fact. He gave himself for our sins. Now, let's stop right there for just a minute because I think maybe Paul was driving at something that you and I have passed over when we've read that. We know that the word for sin is the Greek word harmatia. And it means simply, it's, it means to miss the mark. To miss the mark. That's sin. A sin is to miss the mark. 
It's an, actually an archery term. When you, when you uh, shoot a bow and arrow and the arrow does not hit the target, that's called a sin because it didn't hit the bullseye. Now, I, I think maybe we've, we've looked at what Paul said there in a little bit of a, of, a, of a wrong light because the mark that they missed or the bullseye that they didn't hit, the sins that Jesus came and gave himself for were not, are not the sins that we learned about in church. I don't think he's talking about the sin of drinking, smoking, lying. Those are, those are works of the flesh. Those things are the fruits of missing the mark. The bullseye, I think Paul was drawing, is that he gave himself, Jesus gave himself for the only sin that there is, which is missing our authentic identity. All right? That every, every action that we, have, that we have dubbed a sin, all the works of the flesh, arise because of uh, uh, not knowing what our authentic identity is. That is, the, that is the true missing the mark. The bullseye, I think, that Paul was drawing is the authentic identity, knowing who we actually are, not what we engage ourselves in. What, what you do is really not you. That's just a fruit of who you, who you know yourself to be. All right. So the result is when we don't know our authentic identity, that's the bullseye. I think Paul was setting that up and saying, this is, this is what Jesus uh, delivered us from. This is what Jesus came and gave himself for. And the result of that is that he would deliver us then from the eaves of this present world. But you have to know what it was that he gave himself for. And when you don't know authentic identity, the result is this. You begin to act like who you aren't. See, it's just the fruit. Jesus came to awaken us. Jesus came to, you know, shake us by the shoulders and then say, look, this, this, let me demonstrate for you who you are. The life of Jesus was a demonstration of what this, all the sons of God, the lifestyle that they are to have, but it's not just the lifestyle. It comes out of the, out of the basis. It comes out of the foundation of Jesus knowing that he was the son of God. When you are convinced and know that you're a son of God, then your behavior automatically changes. We've gone after the behavior to try to change, and we haven't, we haven't really gone where, after where we've missed the mark. Where we've missed the mark is not knowing authentic identity. And so in church, what we've done, we haven't changed identity. We've tried to change behavior. Behavior is just the result of a mistaken identity if it's fouled up. Right? Are, are you with me there? So religion has two starting points. And here's why we have a problem with authentic identity. Religion has two starting points for you to, to draw identity from. One, the first one is the fall of Adam. The fall of Adam is, is where the church generally starts your, the story. Or it starts at the cross. Both start with a, an understanding of separation. If the story for you of identity begins in Adam, then you're automatically separated. If it begins at the cross, then you're also uh, are saying we have a need, we have a separation that Jesus fulfilled. 
Colossians chapter 1 verse 21 says that we were alienated and separated in our minds by wicked works. Not knowing authentic identity led to the works. And the works created in our mind a separation from God. Are, are, are you following me there? All right. Now we've gone after the works in our mind that separated us from God because of our identity being either at the cross or in Adam. But Paul always takes us back before the cross. He takes us back before Adam to lay down the foundation of our identity. Religion is always trying to improve or remake something. They, religion always teaches us that we are inherently flawed, that we're, that we're somehow not complete, that we're messed up. So Paul takes us back before the cross, before Adam, to discover what our authentic identity is. So he says in, in Ephesians chapter 1, and some of these we're going to, you know, we'll get to in the weeks that are ahead. But he, in Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 4, it says that he chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world. And in choosing you in Christ before the foundation of the world, he sets your identity. And in his eyes, he says that you would be without blame before him in love. So what, what Paul does with the Galatian Christians, I think what he's saying is, guys, you missed the mark. But the mark that you missed is not the actions. See, the Judaizers came in and wanted to emphasize the actions to get themselves squared away. Paul says that's not how you get squared away. You get squared away with an understanding of authentic identity. Jesus came and gave himself for our sins. He gave himself to get us back to authentic identity and revelation of it. All right? So he, he's there readjusting their thinking. He's, he's helping to renew their minds. He's trying to open their eyes. Now remember these people had been messed with. The Judaizers had come in and done a, 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 evidently an, uh, an outstanding job at convincing them that, it, that they needed to keep the law with Jesus in order to be saved. That last part of Galatians chapter 1 and verse 4. Let me read the last part of that verse. Galatians chapter 1 verse 4. The last part of that verse says, So that he might deliver us from the present evil age that he might deliver us from the present evil age. That sounds an awful lot like what Paul said in Colossians chapter 1 and verse 13. Colossians 1 and verse 13, it says that he has delivered us from the power of darkness. And he's translated us into the kingdom of God's dear son. So what is, what is Paul doing here? These first four or five verses, Paul's establishing right at the beginning that the Galatians, through Christ, had been placed into another kingdom apart from circumcision or works. And the kingdom that they had been placed in, because of verse 4, the giving of Christ for our sins and his deliverance of us from the present world, Paul's telling them, guys, you have now been placed into the kingdom. He did the placing. Can you see that? In verse 4, he, he's, he, he's lining all of this up to Jesus. Jesus gave himself for our sins. Jesus delivered us from the evils of this present age. 
according to the will of God the Father. He, that Jesus, Paul is saying, guys, Jesus did this work for you. It's not, it's not what the Judaizers were explaining to you, that it's, that it's your effort, your behavior, your works, your law-keeping, plus Jesus. This is, this is the objective truth, and he hits it fast, man. He hits it in verse 4. Hardly gets moving. All right, now, let, 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 me, let me read verse 3 to 5 again. Well, I, I, think, I think you might maybe got that down, all right? So let's go on to verse 6. We, we've got to move along this morning. Let's come down to verse 6. Let me read verse 6 to 10. So Paul's laid the foundation, said, this is who I am. I'm sent here by God. I'm telling you the truth. This is the truth. Jesus gave himself for our sins, delivered us from the evils of this world. So now Paul's built that, all right? Now he's going he's gonna, to, in verse 6 to 10, he's going to begin to tighten the grip a little bit. He's going to get a little bit stronger. Verse 6, he says, I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel. In verse 7, he says, which is really not another gospel, but there are some that trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. Verse 8, but even if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than what we have preached, let him be accursed. Verse 9, as we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone preaches any other gospel to you than what you have received, let him be accursed. For I do not persuade men, for, now, for do I now persuade men or God? Or do I speak to please men? For if I'm still pleasing men, I would not be a bondservant of, of Christ. Man, there's a whole lot that he's saying in there. He, he lets them know right up front that it's his mission to show them that this is a God thing called grace. It's not a works. It is a God thing called grace. And it's not their efforts or behavior that created it. And he's saying, guys, these Judaizers have been deceiving you. They've been adding something to it. Now, I, we, I think we all need to hear that as well. It would, do, it would do us well to listen to that because there are always those, including our own soulish inclinations, that, that, that try to pull us back to do something to merit what has come to us by grace so that we can kind of ultimately take the credit for what he has freely direct deposited into our life that we actually cannot take any credit for. But this Judaizing thing, when you bring it into today's world, it's, you know, it's the Baptist church. It's the evangelical community that comes and gives us grace on one hand. And then like the Judaizer says, yes, but we want to tack on this part. In verses 6 to 10 it doesn't take Paul long to get to the point. He said, I, look, I, I, he said, guys, I'm the one that led you to Christ. I took you into liberty. I took you into this message of freedom. And now you're being duped. That's just the opposite of the route most of us came. Most of us came through being duped, through being tricked. And now we're coming into a freedom. And so we're trying to lose the dupedness. And we're trying to lose all that we was poured into us by religion to come into freedom. The Galatians were coming the opposite way. They first had the freedom, then there were those that were not coming in. So look at verse 6. 
He said, I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him that called you in the grace of the Lord to a different gospel. Now, if you, if you don't grow in grace, the natural tendency is to fall back into the do rather than just the be. That's all Paul was saying. Look, just be. You don't have to do. Paul called the do another gospel. Anytime you tack on a do, you can... You, you, you can pin the word gospel on almost anything. There are so many different flavors of the gospel floating around today. I, I'm convinced you can almost call the gospel anything, but it's not good news. And, and Paul says, look, if it's not the gospel I gave you, it's not good news. Verse 7, he says, which is not another gospel, but there are some that trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. Now that, that perversion is really, the, 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 if you were to look what the word perversion means, it actually means distortion. I like the word distortion actually better than perversion there. Paul's saying there are some that distort the gospel. When something is distorted, you don't see it clearly. You don't, you don't get the right view of something that is distorted. The spirit of truth is to lead us out of distorted perceptions. That's what he's doing right now here to digital cathedral when we teach each week and we get into the word and I'm hoping you know maybe as we walk through some of this that even some of the distorted perceptions that we still have a carryover that haven't been flushed out of us especially as we come to new levels and new heights and new frequencies and vibration increases we're going to see oh man I still I still got this little tweak over here this little distortion I haven't been seeing it right I haven't, I haven't really nailed the authentic identity. It gets clearer. It gets sharper. The distortion lessens. Then he goes on in verse 8. He said, But even if we are an angel from heaven, preach any other gospel to you than what, you, than what we have preached. I love this guy's boldness. He's saying, look, I have given you the authentic gospel, and if anybody, even an angel, comes and preaches to you something, I didn't preach to you, let him be accursed. That's bold. This is the key, knowing that Paul's revelation was given to him directly by Jesus to the Gentiles. And he says much the same thing in verses 9 and 10. Verse 9 and 10, verse 9, he says, And as we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone preaches any other gospel to you, then what you have received, let him be accursed. Verse 10, for do I now persuade men or God? Am I here to, to persuade men to be favored to man? I don't think so, Paul says. I've paid too big a price for this message. He said, for if I please men, I would not be a bondservant to Christ. So these first 10 verses, the takeaway from the first 10 verses for us this morning at the Digital Cathedral, it's to know that we don't move off of Paul's message. Paul's message to the Gentiles is the message of grace. Now here's the big question, $64,000 question. Now I'm going to bring this into today's world. The question is this, have we heard, have we kept the message of the post-resurrection grace message of Paul, who was the evangel to the Gentiles, have we, have we kept that message or have we, like the Galatians, have we moved off of it and had some additives to the basic message? That's the $64,000 question. So let, let, me give you, let me give you one question that will solve the mystery for you. And every time you hear a message, every time you're a teaching, 
When you hear me teach, I don't care who it is, Joseph Prince, uh, whoever your, your guy is, Andrew Womack, doesn't matter, who, whoever you listen to, you need to ask this one question. Does this gospel cause me to fix my eyes exclusively on Jesus? Does this message cause me to fix my eyes exclusively on Jesus? Hebrews chapter 12 verse 2 tells us to look to Jesus who is the author and the finisher of our faith. If he's the author and the finisher, then he's also everything in between, right? So you ask yourself, what I'm hearing, does it focus on Jesus plus nothing? Right? Now the distortion, the perversion comes through this. It'll come when doctrines are emphasized. Methodology is emphasized. Uh, formulas are emphasized. Laws and rules are emphasized. Uh, when a denomination is exalted, this is what our church believes. This is what our denomination, I don't care what your church or denomination believes. There also can be a tremendous distortion that we've come through with platform stars. We want to be like the guy, you know, the, 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 the headliner at, uh, at the conference. So all these, all these filters and, you know, his, his personal ideas and the message he's, that's, we aren't, we aren't to focus. And I thank God for teachers and preachers and prophets and the whole fivefold ministry. I thank God for the whole thing. But that's not where we put our eyes. Does the message I'm listening to, does it emphasize what I am doing or not doing? Or is the message, emphasis on the message of what he has done? Now here's a good Christ focus right here. Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3 and verse 14 says this. He said, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God that is in Christ Jesus. There's one prize and it's in Christ. It's not in denominations. It's not in church. It's not in platform stars. It's not in methodologies or formulas. It's in Christ. Does this message make me self-conscious or Christ-conscious? That's the question you have to answer. Paul in Galatians chapter 1, those first 10 verses was saying that you have shifted your focus. These Judaizers have caused you to shift your focus from what Jesus has done and now you're focusing on what you have to do to try to make yourself acceptable. Paul said, that is a distorted gospel. It is a shift off of Jesus. Now you're shifting to what you must do. And that same shift goes on today in churches and religion and Christianity all over the world. All of a sudden, all we see is us. We see our perceived failures now. I haven't kept all the law. I haven't, I haven't jot, dotted every I, crossed every T that the Judaizers said that I have to. I'm not fulfilling all of, all of the demands and the stipulations and the obligations. And you know what that creates? That creates guilt and a sense of failure. And guys, that is not the gospel. The gospel does not create that. You, you, you can't sin bad behavior out of grace. You can't sing your way out of the message that Paul taught. Paul said in Galatians 5, 4, he said that where sin abounds, grace super exceeds. Grace goes beyond it. So everything, 
in the kingdom comes by the riches of his grace. What you do or what you don't do has no bearing on the goodness that he has taken and direct deposited into your life. In fact, Paul said, and we'll get to it later, he said that you frustrate the grace of God when you try to pay for it. You frustrate the grace of God when you try to merit it by keeping the works of the law. So here's the test of the gospel. Here's the test. Paul's message, the gospel, leads you to trust in the all-sufficiency of Christ. A perverted gospel promotes you and your effort. Any, anything that moves you off of his sufficiency, his ability to have done it all and paid the total price and just given it to you as a gift is a perverted gospel. Number two, Paul's gospel makes you increasingly dependent on Christ. A perverted gospel inflates your ego and your belief in your ability to make yourself acceptable and self-righteous through your willpower, through your discipline, through your choices. I think it was John around the third chapter that said, I must decrease and he must increase. That decreasing, increasing has got to continue until there's nothing left of you and all there is is him. A perverted gospel works just the opposite. A perverted gospel uses steps and formulas and, 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 and you know, to build self-dependency so that you're, you're the one increasing. You're the one who becomes more entrenched in your ability to do the right thing. And, 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 and the other test of, the, of a true gospel that Paul taught is this. It increasingly draws you to the Christ. When you hear the authentic gospel, it draws you to the Christ. A perverted gospel draws you to the good, but not to God. So let me just say this in conclusion. We're going to wrap up this first Sunday on this 10 verses. Paul's gospel lets you be transparent. And there's tremendous power in transparency. If you get nothing else out of the message this morning, I want you to get this. Paul's message of grace lets you be transparent. And here's why. Because you're not trying to live up to a particular standard. You're not trying to reach a plateau in your own strength. Do, do you know what that causes? That causes hypocrisy. It causes you to try to appear to be something that you're not. When you can't admit when you can't come to a place that you can be transparent any longer, that you're trying to impress by your actions, your behavior, by the way you live your life in front of other people, that causes you to be a hypocrite because you can't keep it up and you can't keep the standard. Paul's message of grace allows us to come and be transparent. That's the freedom, man, that releases you to grow. That transparency releases you to grow. Radical transformation comes through his done. It never comes through your due. The, 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 the proof of the authentic gospel is in the pudding of people's lives. Paul's message changes lives. Religion gives appearances. So God is transforming you big time as grace works. So Paul said this. Paul said, I'm concerned because... You're moving out from under what I gave you. You're moving away from this pure gospel. And so he says, look, I, I just want you to respond back to the simplicity. 
I want you to come back to grace. I want you to come back to that divine influence that produces effortless change as you rest in him. I want you to learn to respond just how he speaks to you, Paul says. Knowing that he has delivered you, that he has saved you, that he has caused you not to miss the mark anymore. You've got the stamp of authentic identity. So these first 10 verses are imperative and Paul lays it down well, all right? So next Sunday morning, you might want to study. Next week, we're going to take verses 11 to 24 as we, can, as we continue our, our study through the book of Galatians. God bless you. I'll see you Wednesday night. We'll talk about it a little bit more. Catch you next Sunday morning on the Digital Cathedral. Have a wonderful, liberated, free week in Jesus' name. Goodbye. We thank you for being with us today on the Digital Cathedral. We trust that today's teaching helped you in your journey to the abundant life Jesus has freely given to all. If you would like to help support us in spreading the gospel of grace, you can do so by going to donkeithley.com to make your donation. We thank you for your prayers and continued monthly support and look forward to seeing you again next week at the Digital Cathedral.